Hello and welcome back. On this week's episode of the Therapy Explained podcast, I speak with Gus Murray about EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Gus is the current president of the EMDR All-Ireland Association. He's delivered talks at EMDR conferences throughout Ireland, the UK and Europe, and has over 25 years experience as a mental health clinician and trainer. It was a privilege to speak with someone who has such a deep understanding of EMDR and has also contributed to its development in Ireland. If you found this episode interesting, please help spread the word by subscribing, reviewing and sharing. Hi Gus, uh, thanks for joining me today. Um, to start off, Gus, would you mind telling me what EMDR is? Sure. Well, uh, the name, a little bit of a mouthful, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, 34 years ago, in the spring of 1987, uh, an American psychologist, Francine Shapiro, she had been diagnosed with cancer. She was out for a walk in the park and she was experiencing some disturbing thoughts and feelings. And instead of trying to push them away, in this instance, she actually paid attention to them. And as she was paying attention to them, she found that the disturbance levels decreased. But she also noticed that her eyes were actually moving in a sort of a diagonal way, uh, horizontally in a, a sort of diagonal way. And she was really very, very interested in that. And then uh, she began to realize, as she examined it more closely, she began to realize that she could do this deliberately. And that when she did it deliberately, when she had some disturbing thoughts and feelings, and when she um, did the eye movement, she found that the intensity of the disturbance decreased and it, that it didn't come back. And that, in short, was the beginning of what we now call EMDR. Um, it, it uh, as I say, started in that sort of very uh, chance way and in the 34 years since, it has developed it to being one of the, probably the fastest growing therapy in the world and in all parts of the world now. I, I would definitely say that uh, the development of EMDR was greatly assisted by the developments that have been taking place in neurosciences in the period the same period, because uh, I started my psychotherapy roughly around that time as, a, as an integrative psychotherapist around the end of the 80s. And um, I would say that in large measure, neuroscience, the, the, the impact of neuroscience was nowhere to be found. And the evolution and the development within neuroscience has actually given a context and a in understanding to EMDR, that has made it, uh, has been a really important influence. And a big part of that has been, of course, the uh, impact of the neuroimaging, the, the scans and so on that we can take. Mm. So although it was a, a chance observation by Francine Shapiro all those years ago, you feel like it's been really augmented by the um, neuroscience that's developed alongside it? Yeah, I can say a little bit about that and what I mean by that, because I think this is the, 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 the game changer, really. The realization that actually uh, 
trauma is in the brain and in the body, and that when people are impacted by traumatic and very, you know, very disturbing experiences and events, what happens is that they're not able to digest that. It, it overwhelms the natural capacity of the system, the, the human system, to, to digest and integrate it. And so they, be, they become fragmented into segments and they're put behind the curtain, so to speak. We put them out of, out of contact for our daily living. But the problem is that they come back in because they're still active, they're still there, and notoriously they're triggered when we're exposed to things that are, uh, you know, uh, bring them up. Mm. <clears throat> and so the understanding that has developed then, uh, the simplest version of it, I suppose, would be what we call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. So people who have had uh, traumatic experiences, whether they're single incidents like car crashes or, uh, you know, mugging or um, different events, life, life, different uh, life events, or indeed people who have had early developmental trauma. What we find is that they, they're, they're, it's lodged in the in the body and in the brain, and uh, the realization is that EMDR is one of the therapies that can help to access and resolve that. Mm. Um, yeah, go ahead. And so it was uh, originally used to treat PTSD. Is that how it was developed in its nascent form? Ex yeah, exactly. The, the, um, the simplest version of its use would be with what we would call simple or single incident type PTSD. So just to give you a quick example of that and to move away from uh, the abstract side of things, I'm thinking of, <coughs> I'm thinking of a young woman who was mugged in the street uh, here in the city um, some years ago. And um, she, when she went back to university, in the, uh, to college in the autumn, uh, she was having a lot of disturbance. Uh, the, 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 the key things that, are, that show up in that kind of situation would be what we call flashbacks or intrusion. Mm -hmm. So in other words, she would get um, flashbacks of the disturbing experience. The second thing is avoidance, and that's push it away so that we don't, it doesn't come to us. And then a kind of a low level or some level of hyperarousal disturbance, irritability um, internally, they, they were not at ease. And indeed, some uh, accompanying that to a kind of a, a feeling of loss of confidence, loss of self-confidence. So what's interesting about this is that <clears throat> this woman, uh, as would be the norm, she went for help to, the, to a therapist. And as it so happened, I was supervising the therapist at the time. And the therapist told me the situation. And I was able to listen to, the, uh, to a recording of the first session. And the therapist did a wonderful job with what we would call talk therapy. Um, she was uh, listening, attuning uh, to her, uh, you know, showing her great understanding and empathy. And the, the, what was happening was that the intensity of the disturbance was actually getting worse. It was like as if it was coming out of, out of its, its closet. And at the end of the session, both the therapist and the client were in agreement that 
you know, the, situa- the, 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 the disturbance level was higher at the end than it was at the beginning. So the, the therapist spoke to me about it and we talked about it together. And I said to her, you know what? I said, this is one of those situations that probably talk therapy is not the most suitable way to go. So she said, well, what can we do? And I said, I would be happy to offer this uh, young woman a couple of free uh, EMDR sessions, if that would help. And between the jigs and the reels, that's what we did. So I saw her for one session and we used the EMDR to target the memory, bring it up using the, uh, she was very, she had a lot of resources and resilience. And so we were able to target it, bring her in touch with her natural resilience and resources. And by the end of the first session, there was a very noticeable, clear uh, drop in the disturbance level. So much so that she said, I'm done, I'm fixed, I'm, I'll, I don't need any more. So I said to her, no, I would really like to see you again. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is because I want to take account of the fact that things, the, you know, the, the, act, the, the processing can continue when they leave the session. So uh, she, uh, you know, she had to make arrangements to do this, but she came back the following week and she said, I'm in a totally different place after the, during the week. I don't have these flashbacks. I don't have the disturbance, the feeling of disturbance. I'm easier to live with, and my family are telling me that. And um, I feel better about myself. Mm. And uh, great. So we targeted, said, what's left? There was very little left. We Half, of the, half a session, and she said, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. Mm. And so I said to her, then you can go back now to your therapist. And she said, but sure, I don't need to go back to the therapist because this is what I just wanted to get help with and I have it and it's done. Go ahead, James. Sorry, it's a really uh, incredible transformation for something, um, you know, in such a short space of time for something that was sounded like it was so debilitating for this uh, young woman. Well, what I would say to you about that, though, is this. That's one case. Mm. The, the conditions that surrounded that case were very important. One is that she was a very resilient young woman. She had a, had a stable background. She didn't have, we'll say, earlier traumas, unresolved issues running particularly. And it was one, it was a single incident. In those circumstances, I would agree with you that that actually is very rapid. Uh, and I could give you a number of examples where we were, I would say the therapy has succeeded like that. Mm-hmm. By the same token, you could get somebody in after a single incident, but the single incident is almost like a window that opens into an existing history of turmoil or you know, um, trauma or unmet needs or attachment issues and so on. And that will be a lot more complex mm. because it's going to be difficult to keep the two separate. You can try, but very often the, the two start running into each other. So you can, as you say that if it's um, a single incident where that person maybe has a good support base, uh, is resilient themselves, maybe has a lot of coping strategies, it can be uh, very effective very quickly. Whereas sometimes if it's linked to uh, historic traumas, maybe in particular developmental traumas, uh, and maybe they're not, they don't have those same resources in the present or those same coping 
strategies, uh, it might be as rapid. Absolutely indeed. And for that reason, the myth that EMDR is a quick fix is indeed a myth. Mm. It is very effective and does the, the, with a single incident, good resources, good resilience, good coping capacities, very, very often it can be that it, those events can be resolved very quickly. And indeed, as you said, it was, that's how it kind of uh, got its name originally as, a, as something that can be worked very quickly. Um, if I could just come back to another um, thing you mentioned, uh, Gus, um, you mentioned uh, you targeted, you, you had your target in the session. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Okay, so I think it's really important that <clears throat> There are, two, there are two dimensions that are operating in the use of EMDR, two, two dimensions. And for that reason, we, all, we always talk about what we call dual attention. So the, the dual attention is between being here in the room, for example, as that woman was with me, being here in the room, in touch with your own resources, internal and external. They, that is the, it's a bit like that it is the healthy flesh that heals the wound. Mm -hmm. So this is the ground that we want the person to be standing. Present orientation, safety, resourcefulness, self-capacity, and resilience, and so on. The other side of it then, which is the question you're asking, is the target. The target in the your language is the actual memory that holds the disturbance. The experience, so in her instance, in her case, it was the mugging in the city, the memory of the mugging in the city. And <clears throat> not just the memory of the mugging in the city, but the way that that's held and stored in her emotion and in her body and in her memory. So we, we're holding the person, we're helping the person to be anchored and grounded in the present resources and self-capacity at the same time as they bring their attention to the memory. And then we use bilateral, once we have achieved that, we use bilateral stimulation. Bilateral stimulation means eye movement going, for example, what, there are three modes of bilateral stimulation. The most well-known one is eye movement, where the, <clears throat> we invite the person to move their eyes from left to right, following sometimes the therapist using their hand, moving back and forth, or sometimes using some uh, kind of a technological device like with, uh, where there's a light bar or I, I, some kind of um, tappers or whatever. The, the eye movement then stimulates, it, 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 it's a, it, it stimulates the dual attention and it helps two things, I would say, in, if I'm to summarize it very, very briefly, it reduces the level of disturbance it, in a way, it calms the fear circuitry because the person is holding distress and fear circuitry is hopping, it's active in, the, in their body. And the first effect of the bilateral stimulation is to calm that. Uh, the second effect is it creates connections between the positive resource networks and the troubled, uh, you know, traumatically stored or traumatically held material. It links those up in a dynamic way 
in the brain and in the body. And from that point of view then, it's important for me to say that EMDR is less a psychological therapy and is more, what I would say, a neurobiological therapy. In other words, it's a physiolog- it works at a more at a physiological level than it does at a psychological level. Mm, great answer, uh, Gus. Um, if I was to kind of summarize that in, uh, as you say, it's so you pick a target. So that might be the memory. Uh, you've got kind of one foot in the present. So that's where you're here in the room, one foot in the past at that memory. And you hold that while you um, engage with bilateral stimulation. Exactly. And then that seems to work in two ways. One, when there's it's almost like there's a mismatch between the traumatic memory and the present and it helps calm down the the that part of the brain while also helping connect the positive resources in our brain to this it's is it almost like an isolated negative network right. well it's it's isolated and negative because it's fragmented mm-hmm. it's it's not it's there there the, the the thought is in one it, the thought is in one place as it were the emotion is in another place there's another sensation of it in the body and you know the flashbacks come but there's no coherence to them mm. And is that where the newer imaging has um, come into oh, yes. effect? So, the, well, hmm. the, the benefit of the neuroimaging then is that we have multiple, say, in that instance, if, that, if we had, um, you know, scanning equipment in that instance, I'd be pretty guaranteed that the before and after scans would show up very clearly the difference in the, the brain scans would show up the difference between the, the, hot, the, the hot spots of the PTSD and the calming. Uh, the calmed, integrated, it would be uh, very, very visible in the scan then. You know, one question that I see come up a lot in terms of EMDR is a uh, comparison to hypnosis. Um, would you mind giving me an answer regarding if there is a difference between them and what it might be? Uh, yes, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice question. And that kind of conversation was happening very, very actively, I would say. In fact, there was a full issue of the American Journal of Hypnosis was devoted to that exact question. I think it was 20, uh, to around two th- the year 2000, 2001, maybe. And at that time, uh, they, they, there was a great interest in what, where were the meeting points or where was the divergences or comparisons between them. Essentially, hypnosis hypnotherapy, I would say, with, you know, with capable, well-trained uh, hypnotherapists, the, the primary focus of hypnosis basically is to get below the kind of conscious mind. It's a bit like that, uh, you know, below the turbulence of the water, below the waves, there's calm. And you're looking to get the person beyond that. And so there's the induction of what they call trance they, they, to, to, to achieve that. Now, EMDR does not do that in itself. You're not, in a, you're not altering your, the state of the person uh, when you're doing EMDR. You're, it is what I just said a moment ago, that uh, we're fully present in full capacity, full resourcefulness, and at the same time accessing the, uh, the, the uh, memory uh, as much as the person is able to tolerate that. Now, where hypnosis in the, in the years since um, 2001, there has been a wonderful convergence between the use of hypnosis alongside EMDR. And I just say what that means in practice. 
it would be more commonly done in the cases where there's quite considerable levels of dissociation. And so the, the, the use of hypnosis uh, uh, is, is done to help the person to uh, get beyond the kind of self-protective defences mm. and access the material in a less threatening way. So the induction in incapable hands, and I really stress incapable hands because uh, hypnosis requires a very extensive training and practice. And in, with, there are some very fine uh, hypnotherapists now who are using EMDR uh, alongside their hypnotherapy. So in other words, the hypnotherapy creates a calming, it's a, it brings about a kind of a it, it brings down the level of disturbance and then EMDR can do the connectivity work beyond that. Mm. So apart from maybe eye movements and the calming nature of both, uh, they're very different. One is more a trance state where one is almost quite a active state. Exactly. Mm. Um, and uh, you mentioned the, the use of it in uh, to prepare for clients that may dissociate. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that for someone who might okay. understand what dissociate means? Okay, if we don't get too into the kind of deep, very deep levels of dissociation, because that's, I mean, that's a very complex field. But if I were to talk about the general response that all of us have to trauma, that all of us survive trauma by putting it behind the curtain. We can't be going around with the trauma on our sleeve because it is too intrusive. So the survival of trauma gets us to put the impact of the trauma, push it away someplace and get on with what we call daily living. But the problem is the trauma doesn't go away. It's there and then it's triggered. So say a simple, uh, <coughs> obvious example would be the two guys are talking in uh, some uh, street in the United Kingdom, chatting to each other, and as they are, one guy dives under the hedge on the side of the footpath. The other guy is looking at him saying, what's after happening? There's a helicopter just passing overhead. This, for the guy who's dived under the hedge is back from Iraq, and this is a spontaneous trigger. Sound of a helicopter, danger under the hedge. That's what we're talking about as an example of uh, stuff that's held in the body, in the memory, in the emotion, and is triggered by a stimulus that happens in the present. Now, the difficulty then is that when the person comes to therapy, if we want to bring this up, it's counterintuitive person has learned to survive by keeping it under wraps, by keeping it behind the curtain. And for very many people, accessing the traumatic material is the biggest difficulty. I have no hesitation about saying that. In any form of trauma therapy, any form of trauma therapy, one of the biggest difficulties is the capacity for, of the client, of the, the patient, to be able to tolerate access to the traumatic material. So from that point of view then, we, uh, all, all good trauma therapies have to use some methods of assisting to downregulate the disturbance that 
the person experiences when they bring themselves into contact with the traumatic material. That's the key issue. I guess that's how uh, something like hypnosis can um, be... Hypnosis can help mm. that, without a doubt. But in le less, let's not... like The vast majority of EMDR practitioners and indeed the vast majority of trauma therapists do not have hypnosis in their uh, repertoire. And so from that point of view, what we have to use is we have to use a whole lot of other what we call t ways of titrating uh, the, the access to the trauma and at the same time uh, enhancing uh, current resilience and current self-capacity. Mm. Uh, and in fact, the therapies that have done most, in my view on that, the therapies that have helped most in terms of developing that are actually the somatic therapies, uh, like uh, uh, somatic experiencing, for example, have done a wonderful job in titrating access to trauma. And by Becoming, that you mean kind of helping to tolerate the trauma, is that right? Yes, but even specifically going in in bite-sized pieces, mm, yeah. getting, taking a little slice of it and being able to access it at a level that makes it tolerable. There are two problems that typically arise. One is that the, if the, when the person accesses the trauma, if it's too much, they become overwhelmed. And so I meet many, many therapists who have invited somebody to access a traumatic memory using EMDR therapy. And then they say, oh, it didn't work. Almost nine times out of 10, it didn't work because the movement from a talk therapy where they were talking about it more at a distance, the movement from that to accessing it in a deliberate way was a bridge too far for the client. It brought them, it brought too much arousal, too much disturbance into their system for them to tolerate. And so they decided, I don't like this stuff. Because it was, the, the, the challenge really is to find a way that we can do that, that helps the person to stay within the, the, their own, what we call their own window of tolerance. That they don't get overburdened, overloaded with it, because the second thing they typically do then is they shut down, mm. which is what we did originally, what, what, what most people do originally when the trauma becomes too much. They shut it down, and that's where your question about dissociating comes. It's there, but we're not connected to it in an, at an emotional level. We're dissociated from it. And even to the point where in many instances the person has no conscious memory of it, especially if it was somewhere very far back. Or they have memory of it in a general way, but not memory of some of the parts of it. So what might have previously been known as um, repressed memory, I think maybe now might be as dissociative amnesia. Without so, a doubt. Um, Without a doubt. And I, I presume then that that means for some people, um, they might need to do a lot more preparation before they might start accessing those memories. Well, I, <clears throat> you're absolutely right. And I think that the preparation is really about becoming fully, as fully present as possible, and then touching into the smallest bit of the disturbance, 
that's it's not pretty, it's not pleasant, but it's tolerable. Mm. Processing that, that's very encouraging. And then gradually, if we take our reading from the client and track, track them very closely in terms of the responses that are coming as they meet the trauma, and then move back from it if it's too much, touch back into it if it's tolerable enough, process a bit of it, and then they begin to, there's a momentum starts to get underway. Mm. So you want to be very in tune with how your um, client or patient is presenting, so picking Absolutely. up on anything. And, and not a lot just how they're presenting, but how they're uh, to track the evolving, because they can be presenting fine. Mm. But once you start to move towards the trauma, you've got to watch, because they may not even realize themselves what's happening to them. The, the disturbance level creeps up on them and su suddenly it's there and they're gone. So we've got to watch step by step as we touch into the material, we've got to make the journey with them. But it, it is very doable once we become, once we begin to realize that we pace it at the capacity level that the client has for to meet it. Um, it's natural, isn't it natural? Of course it is, that we're very, very cautious. Once bitten, twice shy. We don't want to go to the place where we got roasted. It's too much. And so when we're doing it, we have to do it in a very titrated way. And I imagine that might really help build some confidence in the restorative nature of EMDR when you have get those Absolutely. little wins in. And I would say that unfortunately, the, the short version of EMDR is go for the juggler. That, that, was, that became a kind of a, uh, an associated with EMDR, that you go straight into where the trauma is, and that, 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 that was one of the unfortunate um, features, in my view, of some people having bad experiences of EMDR, is they got landed back into the trauma too deeply, and it was very overwhelming for them and distressing for them. So the good news, I hope, is that we have begun to learn from that over the years and that responsible therapy of any nature with trauma is titrated. So would that mean in some instances you, you would work on the, the most difficult memories, but you'd be careful with others? I would say absolutely. The example I gave you earlier is an easy one mm -hmm. because we were able to see that the, it was very tolerable for this client to visit the memory. It was disturbing, but tolerable, if you see the difference. Mm. It was, she was well able to tolerate it, even though there was a lot of emotion and disturbance. And the, <clears throat> the processing, you could see quite quickly that it was starting to bring down the disturbance. So, so much of it seems to be based off the, the person's subjective experience of going back to that memory of the processing and that's where you get your kind of measuring or point of reference for where to go. There, there are many features to it, the, the trauma itself, the nature of it, how, 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 um, how early it happened in the person's life, how much it is woven into their whole makeup and personality. Um, in neurobiological terms, the networks that are affected 
are much more extensive. If it's early, if it's young, if it's woven in, if it's multifaceted with many aspects, if it's a one-off event in the, you know, in a recent time against the backdrop of otherwise an otherwise resilient person, then the network affected is very short, very very in in the in the neurobiology of it, and it can be cleared, you know, resolved very quickly for that reason. And I guess we've spoken, we've used the terms PTSD and trauma um, quite a bit to describe the types of problems it can help with. But I mean, I wonder, could we speak a little bit more uh, extensively about what kind of problems it's particularly helpful for? Well, just to put that into perspective as well, uh, with mentioned PTSD, they, I mean, you can talk about simple and complex PTSD and we're talking, in, which both of which are, many, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, features of what would bro- broadly be called trauma. The understanding is that <clears throat> if you separate, say take something like depression or anxiety, panic attacks and so on, they are very frequent current manifestations of material, of, of traumatic material that's embedded. So in other words, the, the symptomatic, clinical symptomatic picture that the client presents with may be very commonly be depressive. Very commonly indeed anxious and panicky and whatever. So what we're doing then is we're looking at the symptoms and we're beginning to track backwards and see why are these happening. So the thinking behind it in EMDR is that, this is another little mouthful in one way, that all dysfunction, all symptomatic clinical symptoms arise from what in EMDR language is called dysfunctionally stored memories. That all, all symptomatic states have their, have, a, have their origin in me- memory networks holding a traumatic or dysfunctionally stored material. So therefore, when we're meeting somebody with, say for example, an anxiety disorder, um, uh, say for example, uh, something like... Um, uh, generalized anxiety, we're beginning to, in our exploration, we're beginning to wonder what's driving this? What is the, what's being held in the uh, system that might be giving rise to this? Uh, that, that's how we're doing it. Similarly, you're talking about somebody with depression. Well, what was very interesting is that um, our German colleagues have been doing a very extensive study on the use of EMDR with depression. And what they found was that by targeting, by zoning in on the trigger for the most recent episode of depression, by zoning in. So, for example, the the trigger might have been um, the financial problems or you know that arose for the person they may have got into financial difficulty that might have been the trigger that started them off in the most recent episode of the depression and by addressing that with the EMDR by targeting that particular experience the the trauma of the the, the financial difficulties 70% of the symptoms were resolved and most importantly they did not relapse. Which is, um, I guess you said so much there, Gus, that is uh, so important to reflect on. 
Um, I guess first and foremost that uh, it's not just traumas in the traditional sense or how by and large you might interpret them um, as being uh, all that EMDR treats. It can be also problems, you know, as you say, panic, depression, generalized anxiety, that if we take a trauma informed approach, we might think about, well, how could this be rooted in a traumatic memory? I guess one thing that comes to mind for me there is our, our understanding of trauma. Um, you know, it's not just those one-off events where someone is mugged or they come back from Iraq. Uh, there's, a, there's a definition I like. It's anything that's too much at once, too much for too long or too little for too long. So that can be those big events, little niggly events consistently, or equally the, the lacking of something, you know, lacking of love, love or nurture. And then that can, um, uh, all of those uh, types of experiences can result in what we might understand today as being kind of panic or generalized anxiety or OCD even. Um, uh, which I suppose is a, is a different take uh, from my background being a CBT therapist, um, where we'd focus very much on the present for a lot of those problems. Uh, it gives it a different way of um, interpreting them and treating them. Well, I think the importance in what you've said there is there's a colleague of ours in uh, the United in the States, uh, Deborah Corden, and she talks about trauma as arising from acts of commission and acts of omission. So in other words, things, shock traumas, things that were done to people and neglect and omission, things that didn't, that were needed and didn't get to happen. And um, the fact of the matter is that <clears throat> I would say the very majority of um, the client population that very many therapists work with are people whose, the origins of their, of their um, difficulty comes from the past. I wonder with that, Gus, how many people may not realise what they've gone through has left them traumatised in one word or another. You know, it's just normalised and accepted as, oh, well, that's just the way things are. Well, you know, <clears throat> isn't it true that the, the adage about let sleeping dogs lie has guided functional living for very many people? In other words, let the past be in the past. Don't be dragging it up. So, yeah, I mean, uh, people just get on with life. They get on with living. And as you get to be familiar with, as you get to be familiar with the symptoms of trauma, you can see the signs of it everywhere you go. Mm. And the signs of it are typically going to be, you, you'll, you'll often have heard about the, the uh, we, we all have the, the idea of fight and flight. So flight, fight and flight means that the nervous system or our natural system is aroused in one of two ways. One is aggression, and I, we don't have to look too far to notice the extent of, that that's around. And the second is anxiety, and we certainly don't have to look too far to see how much that's around. And this, the, that's one category, fight and flight. And then the other category is how much people are actually shut down they're, they have, they're going on with life, but below the waterline, but inside of themselves, there's a lot of embedded disturbance. And that is brought to the surface then sometimes. Sometimes it manifests itself with physical symptoms. And fibromyalgia, a lot of the gut stuff, you know, uh, irritable bowel and all of that. Uh, a lot of uh, the respiratory stuff. I think there's something in the region of 50 or more uh, autoimmune conditions now diagnosed. 
very, very often they have their origin in the body sending out messages that have their origin in embedded trauma. Mm. And yeah, that's something that I'm really interested in. And uh, um, from having worked in services where we use CBT in the past, and you know, it's kind of limited in some ways its nature. Um, but EMDR offers such a fantastic way of understanding of it, you know, about when we are traumatized, the amygdala kind of triggers off that fight or flight response so much more frequently. And it's, it's the, for those autoimmune disorders, it's like our body is attacking itself um, to, in one degree. And as you say, the, the signs are around us. Um, people feeling anxious, people feeling um, that fight or flight response being triggered. And also one way, one way, I'm not sure if you agree with this, of me kind of thinking, oh, I wonder could this symptom be rooted in trauma, is if someone knows uh, a belief to be untrue, like they know they're a good person and they know that they're, they're worthy, but they don't believe, feel it on a gut level. I feel like there's a real mismatch between their thinking brain and the emotional brain. That always kind of rings an alarm bell for me. Thinking. Absolutely. And you see, I think that's a very good point because emotional memories are actually in the emotion body place rather than in the frontal lobes of our brain. So if you think about the brain as being in three, three different kind of a levels, a simplified version of it, the trion brain, you have the thinking brain, which helps us to analyze, understand, rationalize, do all of that. You have the emotional brain in the middle which gives us a lot of the emotional and attachment experiences and so on. And then very importantly, you have the brainstem. And that's what takes us right down, the brain right down into the whole of the body. They, I think there of the, there's an understanding that there are more brain cells in the belly than actually in the brain organ in the head. Mm. So the, the point you made then about that we feel bad about ourselves even though at, an, at, a, at a conceptual, intellectual, cerebral level, we know we are capable and good. But that, at an emotional and body level, the feeling is of shame, mm. for example. Mm. I'm not as good as, I, as others, I'm not up to scratch or whatever. Mm. Which is so important to know, because until I understood that, um, because I'm trained in EMDR myself, um, it wasn't something I, I really knew. And I was like, God, that's such a common problem for people. And just thinking... And just to finish that, <laughs> uh, the, 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 reason, the thinking then is that therapy, good therapy needs to take account of what we call top-down, which is the thinking brain, but most um, very, very significantly bottom-up, mm. which means coming from the body and the emotion. Mm. Emotion is in the body. And so the, I would be of the view <clears throat> that the bulk of the work I do in EMDR is going to be bottom-up. Mm. No question about that in my mind. So it has to be a whole body experience, not just a, a rational thinking brain. So, for example, I'm, th <coughs> I'm thinking of somebody who was, came off you know, in, a, in a, a cycling racer he came off in a very bad crash and was very, very, you know, caught up physically as a result. And we did the resolution of that with the MDR and his memory of it and it calmed and so on. And I, at the end of it, I said to him, How, what do you notice in your body? He said, my body is very calm now. So I said to him, 
You know the areas around the wound where you're, those wounds that you have? I'm wondering would it be, if we were to try to test this in the, for a moment now and see how it would be to touch it. Now this is many months after. And he said, oh yeah, no problem. You want to do it? I said, do so. I washed my hands and I said, I just put it just a little gender touch. And he jumped. And I started to process that with him. He didn't know it was there. Hmm. And say 20, 30 minutes later, using bilateral stimulation and he, 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 he in aware of this disturbance, by the time we had that done, I could touch it and there was no, there was no, the body did not react. And I think that's a very good example of the body is holding the distress, even when the conscious mind is not aware of it. Mm -hmm. He said to me at the end of the session, you know what this felt like? He said that last piece, he said, it was like a very vigorous workout. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like I'm flat. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just, everything is dropped down. The body had been holding itself in a state of bracing and it let itself down. As the, the, the well-known book, The Body Keeps the Score, yes. um, discusses yeah, how our body does hold on to those things, even if we think it's not there, um, it holds on to it. And as you say, in my own experience working with people that um, it can feel like a workout, will people describe it that at the end of it, they can feel exhausted. Yes. Um, which makes me yeah. wonder, you know, would you feel like, I'm not sure as adverse side effects be the right term, but you know, what are the effects of EMDR? Um, sure. I, I think we've mentioned it a little bit in the course of the conversation. The real challenge for EMDR is that we don't re-traumatize people. And what I mean by that is that I want to help people not to relive the trauma. I do not want people in therapy having to relive it as if it's still happening. So therefore, what we have to be able to do is keep them in the present within the, their own level of tolerance and access the trauma from there. So the, the downside of any trauma therapy is that people would get re-traumatized by reliving the trauma rather than by staying here and meeting it and taking it, you know, integrating it or resolving it by touching little bits and taking little bits out of it as they go. Which is true with any form of exposure um, from even a CBT background, often it's sure. recommended for it to be graded. You know, there's like an approximate zone of growth. If you yeah. go too high, uh, you fail, maybe you get hurt. Or if you go too low, you don't maybe learn anything. Sure. And again, of course, EMDR can be used very helpfully in combination with some of the CBT exposure ways of work. So I guess we've kind of talked about a number of its strengths. What might you say are some of its critiques? See, I, I would actually say that the critiques are more to do with its unhelpful use, mm -hmm. as I just mentioned there. One of the critiques I've heard made of it is that it's quite mechanical. I've heard the critiques, that, those critiques, that it's... It's manualized, it follows a, a set of steps. Now, I think that that's, a, I, I'm, I'm always sorry to hear it described in that way, because 
it's like anything else, if it's been done well, I believe it's immensely and must be an immensely relational therapy. If EMDR is happening without an attuned relationship, it's not good work. So to answer your question about the critiques, the, the, a lot of the critiques I would be aware of is a more kind of regimented mechanical use of it, where there isn't sufficient attention given to the wholeness of the person where there isn't sufficient attention given to the their capacity to tolerate contact with the with the memory with the material i suppose the other thing that i want to say about it or would want to say about it is that there's an old adage about emdr it's easy to learn difficult to master i think that's an important understanding that Many people who train in EMDR, the vast majority actually, they, they, they take it as an additional training for about eight, seven or eight days training. Now that's a very, very, very brief training. And in my view, a serious therapy cannot be integrated and mastered in that much time. So from that point of view, I think that... Um, it's about getting the training and then making a very serious journey to integrate that into our existing way of working. The journey from talk therapy to EMDR therapy is a very important, very significant journey for both client and therapist. And many clients are in talk therapy, they get great understanding, empathy, attunement, support. They may also get help to, you know, access and talk about their experiences. When somebody, when the therapist then says, as well as all of what we have been doing so far, I'm going to be now suggesting to you that you'll bring your attention to the disturbing memory. I think that that can be done too lightly sometimes without realizing, for either of the two, without the therapist or the client realizing, this is a very different ballpark to be in than just having it, us be doing it in this supportive talk therapy way. And that it's to, that, that's one of the critiques of it, is that how to help people to move from talking about the trauma to actually meeting it and resolving it. It's a real skill to master and become attuned to over time um, and to take it so seriously, the yes. working with traumatic material as opposed to maybe stuff that isn't rooted in trauma or isn't as close to the root of the trauma. I've just got one last question for you, Gus. Where would you find a, a therapist who offers EMDR? If someone's listening and they, they feel like, oh, this might be suitable for me, where would they look? Okay. Uh, so the, um, the, we have the, uh, our own uh, Irish association now, the EMDR All-Ireland. And just in the website, they can go straight into the website, EMDR All-Ireland. And our EMDR Ireland is, I think, the, web, the way the website is set up. 
And uh, there's a list of find a therapist. You can, you'll find therapists uh, who are practitioner who have got accredited as uh, EMDR practitioners. You find a list of those in there. We've also just started to put up a list. It's just been done out of people who have trained in EMDR and are in the process of heading towards their accreditation as well. Uh, their EMDR, they're fully capable therapists. They're trained in their own uh, modality already, and they have trained in EMDR and they're heading towards um, accreditation in that. So there would be, between the two categories, there would be quite a list of people now in all parts of the country. And it is available online. It is, it is a type of therapy that can be delivered remotely. Well, <laughs> if you had asked me that question in the for, on the 1st of March 2020, I would have said, not really. But uh, the good news is that uh, all of us have found a way to master and deliver EMDR very, very helpfully online over the last year or so. So we're doing it uh, over Zoom, typically. Uh, I, I would be much more comfortable once I can see the person and they can see me. And so therefore having a good uh, connection and a Zoom platform or some such platform uh, seems very good. Sorry. Necessity is the mother of invention. But, it, but the truth is, it has actually worked really well. Mm. well. That's all we have time for today, Gus. I really appreciate you um, giving your time and imparting your knowledge. Uh, I found it uh, extremely useful and I'm sure we could go on, but we are uh, out of time. Um, so I'd just like to say thanks again and uh, all the best. You're very welcome and I enjoyed it as well, Jess. Thank you. All the best, Gus. <laughs>